Welcome to Metro Praise International. We're going to be talking today about Mary. We're in a sermon series about the prophets, and we're going to talk today about a female prophet named Mary, the mother of Jesus. Most people don't think about Mary as a prophet, but she was. A prophet is someone who hears a word from God and then gives it out. But before we get into that, you can turn to Luke chapter 2 as we're, we're getting ready. I want to share with you a couple things from my heart, and I feel it's only fair that I do it for you in the second service because I shared it in the first service. And that is, I hate Christmas. <laughs> I really do. I hate it. I haven't celebrated Christmas. You can keep the lights off. We're going to keep it kind of chill today. Thank you. I haven't celebrated Christmas in over 20 years. There is no tree in my house. There are no gifts for my six children. I've hated it for a long time, and I hate it more now than when I first started hating it. I want to tell you why I hate Christmas and why it's okay for you to love it if you do. Don't feel bad. I don't, I don't make it a petty thing. You're in our church. There's not a trick here. We're not going to get upset with you because you like Christmas. Some of our friends and family have already come and celebrated Christmas. But I want to tell you why I hate it. It has nothing to do with how I was raised or like something was done wrong to me, like somebody didn't give me a Christmas gift. I was raised in a great, beautiful Christian family. Mom and dad loved Jesus, grew up in the suburbs of Fort Wayne, Indiana. My dad left the south side of Chicago, started a new life in Indiana. I had everything a young person could imagine. Every Christmas was special. Everything was done right. My parents would take me to church. I would see all the different things going on. I probably did a whole bunch of these things up here with the children. I don't remember, but I think my parents would put them in, uh, put me in those kind of productions. But when I got saved November 5th, 1995, coming from a, a background of turning my life over to drugs and crime, when I got saved as an 18-year-old, I began to fall in love with Jesus as I saw him in the Bible, as a real person that was worthy of my worship. So when that Christmas came around, I saw it differently. Now you have to understand, my convictions don't have to be your convictions, We'll talk about why it's okay for you to celebrate Christmas in just a little bit. But I want you to understand this. My conviction, I know, came from the Lord. And you're not to obey it. You don't have to follow it. That's okay. But I think you need to hear it as a way to think about things possibly differently. So when I came to Christmas as a new Christian, what I then saw was a bunch of hypocrites. You see, I saw people that came just for that day. And then they went back out living how they lived. And that bothered me. That made me very upset because I understood November 5th when I gave my life to Jesus, he was Lord November 6th. And I understood that he was Lord November 7th. And so I would never have come just to a church to pretend that I loved that man if I was going to go back out and do my own thing, I had enough respect to be a sinner on my way to hell. So the hypocrisy of it bothered me. But it wasn't only that. It wasn't only that. I hated the way the culture turned my Jesus into commercialism. How they made parents feel like all of a sudden you're supposed to have $2,000 drop into your lap around Black Friday. Like you're supposed to all of a sudden have this extra money to buy these things. And if you don't have the money to buy those things, then your coworker is going to make you feel bad because they're going to tell you what they're getting for their kids. And they're going to tell you what they're getting for their husband and for their wife. And they're telling you what they're spending. And so I began to realize that there were some good Christians that wanted to fight to put Christ back in Christmas. But I went back to the word and I never saw him even in Christmas. 
What I mean by that is not the birth of Jesus. That's wonderful. Not the celebrating of Jesus coming to earth. But I never saw a day where we would do what we now call Christmas. Where we would cut down a tree, put it in our house. Let that tree live, man. What did that tree do to you? Keep that tree out there. And then two days later, it's a fire hazard. Are you listening? And then we have to do all these things. Now, hear my heart in this. You don't have to hate it because I hate it, but I want you to listen to me. I just hated it. And then I went and worked in New Orleans in the hood for over seven years, and I began to see how people even in the hood, the garbage bins would be filled up to overflowing, but then the next day they were still broke, had no money coming to our grocery lines. And then I began to realize that people didn't necessarily love my Christ in Christmas, that what they loved was the nostalgia, they loved the idea of eating, and some of those things are good, I get it, but what they didn't want was what the whole thing was supposed to be about. So I didn't want to try to put Christ back in Christmas. I just wanted it all done. And so when I met my wife, you know, then my girlfriend, and we began to date and get serious, she became my fiance. We did marriage counseling. I told her right at the beginning, I said, honey, I don't celebrate Christmas. Our kids will never have a tree. There won't be any gifts. It's just the way it is. I said, are you cool with that? She said, I'm cool. Now, if she would have said she's not cool, she might have had some leverage. She might have negotiated then. Um, over the last 13 years, Christmas tries to sneak into my house through her. Uh, we got little wreaths now in the house, and I think finally now she got me to let her put stockings above the, uh, the, the, the chimney or the fireplace, whatever, but I don't like Christmas. Do you all still like me? Okay, you all still like me, but now let me just tell you this. I'm not here to make you feel bad if you like Christmas, but I want to ask you a question. Are you going to participate in the things of the reason why I hate Christmas? Are you going to come back next week or are you just showing up today? And, and I know some of y'all got other churches. I get that. But are you going to go to church next week? Otherwise, you ain't doing nobody a favor. A lot of times people are like, man, I'm going to come check you out on Christmas because, you know, I want to do you a favor. Come check you. you ain't doing me a favor. Not doing me a favor. And if your family member made you feel like you were doing them a favor, I'm sorry. We don't need you. Don't need you. You're not doing Jesus a favor. And I want you to hear that from my heart. I don't mean to make you feel bad. I'm just asking you. You going to come to church next week? Is Jesus Lord of your life? And the next thing I want to ask you is, are you spending more than what you have? Because I know it's an old joke, and if you've been around me, I say it almost every single Christmas, but I want to say it again. Parents, you only owe your kids one gift this Christmas. Just put it in an envelope, put it as a card right under the tree, and just have them open it. And when they open it, it simply just says this, you will have water this year. You will have food this year. You will have clothes this year. You will have lights this year. You will have freedom this year. You will have education this year. Merry Christmas. God bless you. And if they don't like it, take something out their room and teach them how to appreciate what they have. Now, here's the thing about Christians and why it's okay for you to love it, because we as Christians get in trouble all the time making our convictions, judgments on others. The Bible was very clear that we could create days that anyone found special for Jesus, for Jesus' sake, you could create a special day and celebrate it. Because back in the day, the Jews had these set days and holidays, Passover and Yom Kippur and these different days. Everybody had to follow them. But when Christian, Christianity came about, Jesus said, I fulfilled the law. 
Y'all don't have to do this. So the other Christians that they were coming up, they were saying, well, some of us still want to remember Passover. Some of us still want to do this. And then those who came from pagan backgrounds said, some of us want to do something on the day we used to celebrate our pagan God. Now we want to do something for Jesus. And Paul was very clear. Y'all can make any day you want to celebrate Jesus. Do anything you want as long as you don't sin and mess with anybody else's conscience. So here's the deal. I'm not messing with you. Don't mess with me. Don't sin, and I won't sin. So when you celebrate Christmas, just honor God. Don't get drunk. Don't get in a fight with Cousin Flacco. Don't start no stuff, okay? Everybody have fun. Don't go in debt. And then I'll just sit at home Christmas, watch some movies with my kids, okay? And you don't have to feel sorry for my kids and walk up to them and be like, baby, I better get you something. You don't have anything. My kids have more than they can give away right now, okay? They're blessed. They are, they are taken care of. But here's what I would like to do. Before I breathe my last breath, I would like to put a new house holiday on the books because it's okay to create them if you want to. Somebody just made up Christmas a long time ago and said, let us celebrate a birth when it was never commanded. Y'all understand that. We take communion and remember Jesus' death because that was commanded. The Christmas is not. I would like to make a new holiday and we're going to call it Maranatha Day. Maranatha in Aramaic means come Lord Jesus. And instead of on that day, you having Jesus as a little Dito baby in the manger, you have Jesus on a horse with his sword dipped in blood. And that's the symbol of Maranatha Day. Amen. I want to start Maranatha Day. And every year during Maranatha Day, instead of giving each other Christmas gifts and presents, y'all give each other rebukes over your sin for the year, and you preach the gospel to each other. And Maranatha Day becomes a day of revival in the nation. So let's start Maranatha Day. You all celebrate that with me? And then we'll set up, instead of the nativity scene, we'll set up the judgment scene when all the nations are like this and he's putting his foot down on them like this and the sword is like that. That will be the nativity scene. Y'all think I'm kidding. I'm being dead serious. I pray to God that I can see us start Maranatha Day. Because somebody had the idea of starting Christmas Day, but it puts all these wrong thoughts in your brain. Like Jesus is still a baby. Jesus is a conquering king. And then some of y'all think that was the day he was created. Jesus is the one who's created you. Jesus just came in the flesh. He just put on an earth suit when he came down 2,000 years ago. When you put on your clothes this morning, you didn't start existing. Jesus is equal with the Father has existed from eternity. God is the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who made you in his image. Jesus has been here all along. Jesus is the one that spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 18 on the plains of Mamre. Jesus is the one that came in that burning bush, spoke to Moses. Jesus is the one that was the fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus been here a long time, but why he came into the flesh through the Virgin Mary was so that he might die for our sins that we might be saved. And so he wasn't here just to be a nostalgic baby that we look back on him. He was to be seen as a savior and as a ruling king. Amen. And so I just want to let you guys know today, I give you permission to do whatever you want for Christmas, as long as you don't sin and mess with me, because I got to go by my conviction, but I want to make sure that y'all got it right. Because when you leave out of here today, don't think that American commercialism is Christianity. Because let me, can I just get your attention before I move on to the sermon? This is just the introduction. There's a lot of generous parents that are still heading to hell this holiday season because Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You are not going to heaven, mom or dad, because you bought your kids the best gift. 
I live in a neighborhood, man, where they try to outdo each other every year. I'm telling you, I saw a two-year-old, my wife will tell you, a two-year-old driving a Mercedes-Benz look-alike little car. Where's Nancy at? Am Am I telling the truth? It was Mercedes-Benz. That means it wasn't just the one you get at this kind of toy store. It is licensed by Mercedes-Benz. Okay? And it was that little thing. And this little two-year-old, she could hardly even put her hands on the thing. A toddler. Listen, if that man is not born again, he will go to hell. You may be here today saying, man, pastor, you know, I'm not going in debt. I'm doing everything I can for Christmas. I even buy uh, stuff after Christmas for the next year. And, and, you know, in middle of July, I'm putting in work to put in savings to enjoy food and family and fellowship. Pastor, I'm good. Okay, that's, that's good. I'm glad you're, you're doing that right. But you have to have Jesus. We're not going to heaven just on being good parents, being nice people. Niceanity is not Christianity. Christianity is Christ being Lord and Savior, and you bowing your knee before that person saying, I love you and I adore you. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. So that, that's my word for you this holiday season. And if y'all didn't know, holiday means holy day. So make it holy unto the Lord. Amen. Let's go to Luke chapter 2 as we learn about an awesome female prophet, the mother who gave birth to our Jesus. When we talk about Mary, we need to remember some theological things. Mary herself was not born of a virgin. Mary didn't have an immaculate conception. So don't believe that Mary was born just like everybody else as a sinner. But she was chosen because God saw that she was a woman of faith. She loved the God of Israel. Now, because she gave birth to Jesus, that doesn't mean she's the mother of God in the sense like you and I have mothers. She mothered God in the flesh, but she is not the mother or the source of God. Does everybody understand the difference? And just because she had such a special relationship with Jesus doesn't mean she's any different in getting saved by Jesus. So we don't need to pray to her so she can pray to Jesus because she's got a better relationship with Jesus. We have the same exact relationship. And I'll put it on the word. Somebody say, put it on the word. Thank you. I love to put it on the word. Jesus was doing ministry. His mom and brothers came to him. Mary and his brothers and sisters came because Mary didn't stay a virgin either. She wasn't a perpetual virgin. Uh, Mary and Joseph got it on, had some children, okay? Mary came with the siblings and said, come get Jesus. Tell him that we're out here. Tell him that we're out here. And Jesus said, man, I'm busy doing ministry right now. And they said, but it's your mother. It's your brother. It's your sisters. And this is what Jesus said. He said, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Those here who do the will of God. So you are just as close to Jesus if you're doing the will of God as his mother and brothers were. He had two half-brothers. We know of for sure. They're also authors of the New Testament. And you know if you worship your brother and call him God, he must be. Amen? Because nobody worshiping their sibling in here in that kind of crazy cult. Jesus was really God. And James, James, the book of James is written by the half-brother of Jesus from Mary and Joseph's relationship. And the other one is Jude. They're in the Bible. They were worshipers of Jesus. Are you in Luke chapter 1, rather? No, it is uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. You got it up there. I said Luke 2. Luke chapter 1, verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. 
From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Somebody say amen. Amen. If you go back up to that first verse or scroll up, please, you'll see Mary said this and began to sing this. It is not just a poem. It's also a song. The Bible says this is Mary's song. She said it in such a way that it would not have just been poetry. It would have been something that she would have sung. Why is she considered a prophet? Because the Holy Spirit inspired her to have these words, and she spoke on behalf of God, and some of the things she had talked about in that portion was foretelling, telling of the future, and it has come to pass, and much of it is still right now coming to pass. Can I hear an amen? When you hear this, this is the Mary of the Bible. This is not the Mary of fiction, just like Jesus is not Barney. This is not Martha Stewart, thank God. Can I hear an amen to that? This is not somebody fake putting on a fake smile. This is real living for God as a holy woman because she breaks down some stuff right here. Now, let me say it like this. If everything we do right here in this Christmas service can be done on a Hallmark movie or in the hit mall, then we're not really giving you the gospel. Why is it the church looks just like a Hallmark movie right now? Everything's got to be perfect. Pastors got to come up and say, this is my favorite time of the year. Oh, and, this, blah, 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 blah. and then talk about stuff you all ever, already heard before. And then you walk out going, oh, I just feel better about myself. Now, man, why, why did that become what the Bible is? The Bible's controversial. The Bible will mess with your politics. The Bible will mess with the way you think about God. The Bible will mess the way you spend money. And the Bible will set you straight. Can I hear an amen? The Bible will not leave you the same way. You watch a Hallmark movie, you leave the same way. You go to the hit mall and somebody does one of those things where they all kind of start singing. What's that called? A what? Flash mob. I forgot it in both services. Help me, Lord. You know... If, if we could do a flash mob and hit mall and nobody get offended, we've done something wrong. Because Jesus said, woe unto you when everybody speaks well about you. Because they didn't like the prophets and they won't like you. See, this is not that cute little Mary that just comes out and goes, hey, everybody, I'm Mary. And I just want to tell you I love Jesus. And this is what Jesus is going to do. I want you to notice some of the themes that she brings up here because they're the most controversial themes you could ever hear. I don't know if you caught them, but I'm going to go through them in our notes. You can follow along online or in the app. Go ahead, sir. Let's go to point number one. Number one is she recognized that she had to glorify and rejoice in the Lord. You see, Mary worshiped the God of Israel. Mary didn't worship Buddha. Mary didn't worship Muhammad. Mary didn't worship a false god. She worshiped the God of the Bible. She was very centristic, centralized in her worship. If you would have went up to Mary and been like, Mary, but all religions are the same, aren't they? She would be like, oh, no, they're not. I worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. 
the God who created heaven and earth, the God of our ancestors. And so I want to ask you a question today. Do you think that spirituality is like a buffet? You're just going to take a little bit of this God and this a little bit of this teachings and a little bit of that teachings. You're not like Mary. You're not understanding what Mary was singing about in that song. Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord. Now watch this. Watch this. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Somebody say humility. You see right here. Watch this. Watch this. God does not take care of everybody the same. Gets quiet when I preach like that. We all are loved by God the same. We all are potentially cared for him by the same. But the action of God in your life is not the same as somebody down the road. What makes the difference, it makes the difference is the humble state of mind. If you are not in the humble state of mind, God is not blessing you and taking care of you. God is actually resisting you. I like it when it gets quiet. Bible says he resists the proud. God puts out his arm and says, you're not going any further. You've dated the third dude that looks just like this one, talks just like this one, and I'm going to let him do you wrong just like the other ones did before you because I am resisting this relationship. You don't put your kids in church. You put them in everything else, karate. You put them in volleyball. You don't let them come to church when they should because you're too busy doing laundry. I'm going to resist a happy home right now. Amen. Not giving it. God is not our prostitute where we can just whoop, whoop, just whistle him over, throw out some money, and then say, now perform for me, God. Come on, I'm going to make it rain, God. You do something for me because I'm making it rain for you. No, the Bible says that he is mindful of the humble state. He's mindful. That means God is taking care of and watching those who have enough common sense to go, God, you're God and I'm not. And I submit to your plan and I'm going to do things your way. God goes, I'm mindful of you. Bible says he seats, searches the earth to see who is faithful. The Bible says when he comes back, will he find faith upon the earth? Jesus said it like this. He is seeking, literally God is seeking worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. So I want to ask you a question. Do you got the God of Mary in your life today? Because if you say to yourself, well, my Jesus wouldn't do that. My Jesus just gives it out to everybody and just be blessing everybody. My Jesus doesn't care about what religion you are. My Jesus doesn't care. Hey, let me tell you something about your Jesus. Your Jesus doesn't exist. Your Jesus is make-believe. You and what's his name from Talladega Nights need to hang out because he plays make-believe Jesus too. Baby Jesus from Braid, baby Jesus, little baby. Baby Jesus don't exist. King Jesus, Lord Jesus. First and last, Alpha and Omega, Jesus. Hallelujah. That's the Jesus that exists. And the Bible says, check this, he is mindful of those who are in a humble state of mind. We don't deserve anything. We don't deserve God's care for us. The psalmist literally said this, God, why do you even care about us? We're but dust of the earth. Have you ever noticed that before? You are so fragile. You and I are so insignificant. The earth circling the sun, which is massively bigger than the earth. 
The galaxy we're in is small compared to the universe. And yet here we are smaller than ants. And God says, I'm thinking about you. How dare we now say back to God, God, this is my request for this year. I want to raise. I want my kids to do good in school. And God, I want there to be peace on earth and goodwill towards men. (laughs) Oh, amen, God. And then we say, but God, I'm not coming to church, not reading my Bible. I'm going to do what I want with my money. And I'll teach my kids whatever traditions and whatever family things I value, even if it disagrees with what you taught. But yeah, you do that for me, God. God says, I ain't got time for that. He ain't minding on that. But you know the one he's going to mind this year? You know the one God is going to be involved in their life this year? The one who says, not my will, but your will be done. If Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, said to his Father, not my will, but your will be done, how much more should all of us say, hey, God, it's your year. You're actually creating it as we go because no one knows how to get to tomorrow except you. And God, you kind of put us together because no one can figure this out yet. And my soul being in the body, that's a whole nother mystery. God, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the one God's going to bless. That's the one who understands what's going on inside of Mary's womb is there's a king coming. There is a king that is coming and he's worthy of our worship because there's a king that lays down his own. We can go through life being used and abused and still keep our eyes on him because he knows what it's like to be spat upon, to be mistreated. And if he knows what it's like to be humble and serve his father, we will follow Jesus. Example, this same mind that was in Christ Jesus, let it also be in you who being in the very likeness of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant having humbled himself even unto the point of death. Therefore the Father has exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and confess him as Lord. That is the truth. uh, Philippians chapter two. Can I hear an amen? You can look it up. Your pastor memorized scripture, amen? Some of y'all memorized Beyonce songs. I memorized scripture. How many of y'all want to know the word like people know Beyonce songs? How many of y'all want to know the word like some people know stats for the Bulls or for their favorite sports team? Some of y'all know those recipes, amen? You don't have to write it down. It's all right here. But you know the recipe right here? Put it on the word, amen? Let's go to number two. She remembered her legacy. She thought about the future. And this is even impacting us today. That's why I know she was a prophet. She said in verse 48, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She understood at this moment that when she went forward with it, it may not be easy. It may come with trials and tests. It may come with people trying to kill all the babies around her. It may come with them escaping by the skin of their teeth to Egypt. It may come with her son being rejected and put on a cross. But she took a moment at that time to count that cost and say, it is worth it for the destiny and the legacy that I'm leaving behind. I want you to close your eyes right now with me, everybody in this place. Whether you're young or old, close your eyes. I want you to think of yourself 
being a father or a mother if you're not. And then now fast forward this earth 150 years from now should the Lord tarry and wonder what your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will sit around a table around this time of year and talk about you. When your picture is above their living room, what will they say about you, ma'am? 150 years from now, will they call you blessed? What will they say about you, sir? Think about it. Mary understood legacy. You can look up at me, please. I've had dreams about seeing my six children as adults sitting around my table. I've had dreams where I see them as adults. Some of you have already raised adults, so you know what I'm talking about. And I see them as adults. And I hear them saying back to me, thank you, Dad, for giving me Jesus. Thank you, Mom, for teaching me. And I can almost hear myself asking them back, was it worth it? Was it worth it me taking you to church every week? Was it worth it me doing devotions every single night, doing scriptures with you when you guys were squirming and didn't want to do it? Was it worth it when I was strict about the friends you would hang out with? Was it worth it when I taught you the ways of God? And I want to hear them say back, it was worth it. I want my grandchildren to hear from my children that it was worth it. You see, you can leave a lot of things that the world does. You can leave money, you can leave a house, you can leave a work ethic, you can leave a love for education, you can leave a lot of great things. My in-laws came from Greece and gave my, my, my wife a great work ethic. They came here with nothing, you know, started from the bottom, now they're here, come on. They came on up and they taught my wife how to work and, and her sister, uh, you know, right here. But I want to tell you something, the greatest thing my in-laws gave my wife and Vicky, her sister, was the faith of Jesus, teaching them the ways of God. My friends, if we don't have Jesus, we don't have anything. If people will not remember you for Jesus, you're not going to have anything to give them. I know a lot of us say, well, pastor, you know, I don't do pastor stuff and I don't do churchy stuff. I mean, I dig ditches or I build buildings or I'm a doctor or a lawyer. How does that translate to my kids seeing Jesus? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked because they see Jesus in you when you wake up in the morning and you pray for them. They see Jesus in you when you're patient and you're kind and people are treating you bad. They They see Jesus in your dedication with your finances and with the way you live. They see Jesus in the way you study your Bible. My dad was a financial planner working with multi-millionaires and I can remember my dad sitting on a couch with the Bible open and him learning from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords the business plan of life. There is nothing that compares to this. All of the good things my dad has given me, all of the recipes my mother has given me, making the best shrimp scampi you've ever had, all of those great things my dad has taught me, nothing greater than my mother's prayers, than my dad's wisdom from the book. Because that's all that's going to remain. See, Mary understood this. This is what she understood. God is the one blessing, but he's blessing people, and the blessed people will be remembered. Do you think in heaven we're going to be remembering Hitler? Do you think when we come on to the new heavens and earth, we're going to be talking about all the wickedness upon this earth? you think we're going to remember 
those things. The Bible literally says they will be erased from our minds. We won't even think about them anymore. But we'll be talking about the righteous things of God and the people who did them. We're having a big dinner this week, right? Everybody's going to have a big dinner. There's a big dinner coming called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And just imagine you're there, and you bump elbows with the person next to you, and you go, hello, my name is Joe. What's your name? My name is Wu. Oh, Wu, where do you come from? Well, I come from China. Wu, tell me about you. How did you come to know Jesus? Well, my parents were raised communist, and they heard from one of the market places they would go that they're was this religion about a man named Jesus. So the the woman at the market gave my mom and dad a Bible. It was illegal in my country to do that. But my mom and dad brought it home and they renounced communism and emperor worship and Buddhism and they followed Jesus. And I remember being a small little boy, being taught by my mom and dad the things of God. And when I got older, I felt Jesus tell me to start churches. But starting churches in China means you can go to jail. Could you imagine sitting next to Wu? The link is on my Facebook page right now of a man who wrote a letter before he got arrested in China. I forget his name. I'm just using Wu. Help me out here, Jesus. And he said, guys, I'm going to jail now. I won't be with my family anymore. But this is the faith that I'm willing to give my life for. What do you think it will be like on the day you're sitting next to people at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Are you going to be the kind of Christian that after Wu tells his story of persecution, of laying it all down for Jesus, and then he says back to you, so what did you do for our king? What are you going to be like? Well, I went to church on Sunday. I put memes on Facebook. I could just imagine Wu looking back at us going, you lived in the freest nation and you never preached? Do you understand that I was in a communist nation and yet somebody gave a Bible to my parents under the threat of death and jail so that we could go to heaven and not hell and you lived in a nation of freedom and you would not even open your mouth? And you say you know him. I could just imagine Wu pointing to Jesus going, and you see him now. Was he not worth it? Was he not worth it? On that day we see him face to face. I want to be able to go to my knees and say you were worth it. You were worth every persecution. You were worth every rejection. Maybe they all didn't listen to me, but they knew that they heard the word Jesus. And for generations to come, they will call me blessed because I talked about the blesser. They will call me blessed because I talked about the mighty one. You see, Mary wasn't just chosen because she just was cute and a young girl that can make cool little nativity scenes. She was chosen because she was willing to stick her neck out to bear Jesus. And everybody has to be willing to bear Jesus to this culture, to birth forth his power in this generation. The next thing was she feared God. It says his mercy, get this, extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, you've heard the old saying like, mercy, Lord, or have mercy on them. Here's the deal. Do you know how God gives out mercy? He doesn't give it to you just because you're pitiful. 
He doesn't just look at you and go, man, you, dude, you definitely need mercy. The Bible says he restricts how he gives the mercy. It is available to every single person, but look at who he extends it to. It's to those who fear him. See, let's go back to a little bit of my story. Do you fear God? Because if you did, you would be back here Sunday. If you fear God, you wouldn't be playing with him like he's a baby in a manger. What does it mean to fear God? Does that mean like we cower? Like, oh God, don't hit me. Don't hit me, God. Like as if he's an abusive God in the sky. No, what it means to fear God is to fear where you would be without him. Can I blow your mind just for a few seconds? Where would you be without God sustaining your sanity right now? Have you ever thought about how precious your sanity is? Where would you be without God giving you the order of this universe right now? Where would any of us be without the love of God? Could you imagine living in a world with no love, no hope, no peace, nothing but despair? I talk to young people all the time, and one time I was preaching the gospel, and the guy says, I hate it down here, I just want to go to hell. And I said back to him, I said, if you hate it here, you'll hate hell even worse. See, people think they're going to escape this life and then go to a better place afterwards without Jesus. If you are trying to get out of pain, do not take your life in your own hands and end it because you are sending yourself to hell where God is not. If you are in pain and you are brokenhearted, hear what Jesus said. He said, all you who are weary and heavy laden and burdened with life, come unto me and you shall find rest for your soul. He said, I have come to heal the brokenhearted. So come to Jesus with your brokenness and your pain. And it means right here that the extension is long enough to reach us. His mercy comes to us. When Melody told that story of all the evil that was done to her, but yet when she read the Bible, she feared the Lord. The Bible reached, uh, God reached his mercy through all the pain of her past, through all the pain of her mother, through all the pain of rejection, and touched her right where she was at. And now today, and you gotta understand, we didn't coordinate message with their testimony, and she spoke it out. Now today, there is not a generational curse coming down through her lineage, but the mercy of God will come to her children and her children's children, and they will remember the story of when Melody got saved. They'll tell that story because I know the story of my mother when she had to leave a relationship with an abusive man with her three children and start life out on her own again as a waitress and she talks about how she got saved and how God transformed her and I never got to meet the Lorraine of the past. I only got to meet my mama, the Lorraine, the born again child of God. That's the one that I know. Even though she grew up with a father that never told her, he loved her. I heard her tell me she loved me every day. See, that's from generation to generation, but she had to fear God. So don't you think to yourself, and I got to remind you of this, just because life is under control now, you can find a relationship on Tinder, you can find something to do with your job or your education. Don't think that you don't need him. You better fear life without him because you don't know what's ahead of you. Do you think people who commit suicide now or this week thought a year ago they would be in a place to do it? 
Do you think that the one that's standing at the altar now saying, I do, in a marriage covenant, thinks that two years they're going to be having a divorce? Do you think that the young person now says, I'm going to be pregnant at 17? Do you think the person now knows that they're going to be depressed three years from now when they lose their mother and don't know how to cope with life without her? And money and job doesn't satisfy? Some of the most depressed people I know are the wealthiest people. But here's the thing. You stick with Jesus. His mercy will extend to you in every situation of your life, even the things that are afar off that you can't even see right now. He says, my extension is there. You see that mother that I was talking about? My mother buried my sister because my sister died drinking and driving. But the Lorraine that showed up to that funeral wasn't that broken woman from a broken marriage back here. It was a born-again warrior of God that went through the valley of the shadow of death, fearing no evil, for God was with her. And what would have broke anybody else brought her to another level. Yes, baby, the tears still come. Yes, you still feel the pain, but you know there's a way maker in the midst of it. You know there's a problem solver in the midst of it. See, I fear God to what I would be without him. And y'all who say, I'm good, I'm good, you haven't faced it yet. You haven't faced it yet. Because you'll, you'll see that I'm good stuff falls apart real quick. The next thing that she said was, I'm going to proclaim God's mighty deeds. How many know we can't do it without him? She understood that Jesus coming through her, the power of God was going to flow. It was going to flow upon this earth. Of course, she didn't understand all the details. Even us with all the scriptures still can't put it all together. And remember, at her time, the New Testament hadn't even been written yet because she's a part of it. But what she did understand is he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. So she had faith. Somebody say faith. faith. Let me ask you a question. Do you have faith to believe God can change Chicago? Amen. If God can send his son through the Virgin Mary, he can change Chicago. Do you believe that God can change your marriage or your children? Do you believe that God can give you purpose? Do you believe that God can change politicians? Amen. Whether you are on Hillary's side or Donald Trump's side, how many know God can change both of them? How many would like to see them both sitting in this church right now, raising their hands, worshiping Jesus, living holy for God? How many would like to see our mayor doing it? Amen. How many would like to see our governor? How many believe God can do it? There are people in this church that if I pointed out their testimony, you wouldn't even believe. Not even just as extreme as maladies as an abuse, but people's testimony that you would think, man, I never thought somebody like you would get saved. We got former lesbians here. We got former homosexuals here. We got former people that used to beat their wives here. Abuse. We have people here that used to be abused and would have been on the drugs if it wasn't for Jesus. And we have people here that have been the abusers. God has changed them. And if they need jail time, we'll be the first one to send them there. Amen. But I'm telling you the truth right now. I've seen God change lives and do mighty deeds. Have you seen him do it? If we have seen him do it, then won't he do it again? 
So put our faith in action. Let's go out and proclaim those mighty deeds because we just can't sit back and say, well, I believe in Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, that was a pretty good mighty deed he did. You know, the emancipation of the slaves and all that. That's pretty cool. No, no, we just can't sit and talk about it. We got to enact it. If I saw somebody being enslaved today, I'd be like, step back, Jack. You can't do that. That was done way back then. Are you listening? And it's the same thing. You can't look back at Jesus and just go, well, that was cool back then. Why are you watching everybody being pimp slapped by the devil? You need to go out and tell the slaves of the devil, the people who've been oppressed by the devil, my God is a mighty God and he will set you free. I, I said he will set you free. If you saw somebody enslaved right now, would you set them free? If you saw somebody right now in chains, would you set them free? Yes or no? Come on, I bet you would. You would handle some business, wouldn't you? Do you see people in spiritual chains? Spiritual chains. White, black, pink, or purple. Uptown, downtown, in the hood, suburbs. Nice neighborhoods like this. Our neighbors, our friends, clean-cut people, not so clean-cut, pretty people, cute people, ugly people. How many seen people in chains before spiritually? Proclaim the mighty deeds of God to them. Let's go number five. She celebrated God's justice. This is where Mary gets a little loco. This is where Mary gets a little, a little crazy, a little kooky. Because Mary, don't you know just God loves everybody and this is going to have a happy ending? Mary's like, you don't know my Jesus. You don't know the one that's inside my womb about ready to bust forth because she said, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. Now let me ask you a question. How do you bring down a ruler? How do you bring them down? You just say, come on down from your throne. No, you grab them by their beard, you stand them up, you break their kneecaps, you push their face to the ground and have them lick dust and you say, you're done now. Have you read the book of Revelation? The Bible says the kings of the earth will lick dust. They will come to their knees at the face of Jesus. There will be no negotiation with this king. The Bible literally says he scatters. Get out of here. Go. Go. I don't want you here. Go. Go to hell. I, no, no, no. You don't get to be here on earth. Have you ever scattered an animal or an insect you didn't like? Go. Have you ever swept away something? The Bible says he will sweep away the wicked. There will be no argument. Just like that dust particle has no argument as that broom sweeps on your porch, there will be no argument even from the mighty of us. And those who hit it, who said, on the outside, I'm cool with God, but on the inside, they were just coming to take advantage of religion to better themselves, just to scratch that little itch of trying to be a good person. I just come to church because I just got to be a good person. I just feel itchy sometimes. I'm not a good person, so I want to come to church. God says, I know your thoughts. I know what you think. And the Bible says, I will break you down. The Bible says, Jesus says, Jesus said, his words, you either now fall upon the rock Jesus being the rock. You fall upon him and you ask for mercy. God, save me. Or the rock will fall upon you and crush you. Which one do you want? Because that rock's coming one way or the other. You either run to it now. Have mercy, Jesus. Or it's coming on top of you. And the Bible is clear. Jesus said it. It will break you to pieces. To be swept away. Get out of here. You don't belong here. This is for my kingdom now. My kingdom has come and my will has been done. 
And there will be nobody swept away and scattered who has not chosen it by the thoughts they think inside their soul, which is resistance against God. What was Adam and Eve's sin? What was humanity's sin that brought our Jesus in the flesh to die for us? If you ever want to see how serious God takes sin, look at him on the cross. None of it was lightweight to him. All of it was serious. And guess why he did that? To spare us from that judgment we deserved. So there will be nobody getting swept away that didn't first in their thoughts go, I don't want to be here anyways. God says, your will be done then. You don't get eternity with me. And then the Bible says right here, look at what she says. I love her. What a mighty woman of God. She says, but he has lifted, what? Lifted, come on, lifted. Come on, one more time. Lifted up the humble. So that means... It doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter how much money you have, how much education you have. Rulers will be getting broke down. That's how serious it will be. So guess what? If you're not a ruler, guess how fast you'll get broke down, right? But what does it say? But he lifts up the humble. Do you see a theme coming through this song that she sung here? It's a theme of God's goodness to those who are humble. It's a theme of God saving those who are wanting to be saved. But it's a punishment and a wrath that comes on those who are proud. What's the next thing she says? Are you guys still with me? Come on, somebody say amen. 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 Look at verse 6. Thank you. It says, he has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Many times we hear stories about the rich and we go, man, those dumb guys, they got so much money. They don't need Jesus. I'm so not like that. Like I don't have enough money to even be rich. And of course I want Jesus. So that's not me. Have you ever looked on the global map where you're located in the wealth of the world? You are the rich of the world. You have running water. You have doctors to go to. Most of you are employed. You have money in your pocket. You make more in one day than most people make in a week. That's why people walk hundreds of miles to try to get here from another country. And guess what the Bible says? You can go away empty. Can I be real honest with many of you here today? The reason why you're emotionally empty today is because you're not hungry for God. I know you want to blame it on your chemical imbalance and the counselors helping with that. I know you want to blame it on the things you've been through in the past. And if I only understood, then I would understand how jacked up you are. And there's a reason for it. I know you want to put it on your boss because they stress you out every week and you can't quit that job. And if I only knew what it was like to work that job, I would know why you have an attitude. And I know that you think that God is just fake spirituality stuff that you do every now and then to clear your conscience. But can I be honest with you? You're the reason why you're empty. You know what it is? You're going to salt water to try to be quenched of your thirst. And the more you drink, the more thirsty you become. You go, you know what? I can do this on my own with the little Jesus on the side. I don't have to be extreme like the preacher's saying or Mary's saying. So I'm going to do a little bit of this. And yes, water has, uh, salt water does have H2O. It, it should work, shouldn't it? And you being nice to your neighbor should make you feel better. And it maybe does just for a little bit. But what's that thing about salt water? There's enough salt in the water that whatever you're putting in as liquid H2O into your body, the salt takes it away and leaves you worse than if you had never drank it. They say if you are dying of dehydration, do not drink the salt water. It will only shorten your life, not extend it. And what is the salt water we just keep bringing in? 
Well, pastor, I can't go to church because, you know, my kids are in this and I got to keep up with this. And if I don't pay my bills and then, you know, we're going to be on the streets and we create all of these catastrophes and all of these idols of things that are so much more important than our relationship with God. But what you're missing is what Mary understood as a prophet. Listen to her words again. She said, he fills the hungry with good things. So the thing that you're actually wanting, that good thing, not talking about a bad thing, God's not going to give you that, but that good thing that you want, family, provision, purpose, sound mind, good relationships with the opposite sex, or a happy home, those things God is actually going, hey, I'm over here, and I've got a whole gallon of it. I got it. Stop sticking your head in the Atlantic Ocean, dummy, and come over here to the spring of living water. So the question is, here it is, like Mary, can you say, I believe God's got what I need and I don't need to go to the world to get it. See, Mary was saying, I know my God's got me. So what does that mean for single folks? You may have to wait 10 years to get married. 18 to 28, single. I was ready to mingle from about 19 on. You willing to wait? Or are you just gonna keep lapping up salt water? How about this? I lived in Humble Park. Bought my first shotgun there. Hello. Yeah, bought my first. My wife's car was broken into. Sell drugs in front of my house. Don't live there anymore. But I didn't get out of there until God told me it was time to go. Because I wanted to provide for my family the right way. You know, I have met people from the hardest situations of life who are now so blessed. And when I tell you their story, you don't understand it because you don't understand everything they went through to get there. And the problem is we all just want to get to that place there, but we don't want to do what we have to do here. And the Bible is teaching us, if you want to be filled, you've got to ask for it now. If you want to have the right things in your life, you have to desire it now. That's why I go to the word, baby. I don't just go to it to preach to you. I go to it to get filled for my life. I'm not just serving Jesus because this is my occupation. God chose this as my occupation, but I serve Jesus because it fills me. How many will go to Jesus to be filled? Amen. And then the last thing is Rachel comes. You guys have been awesome today. Only at this church can you be told at a Christmas presentation your pastor hates Christmas and still be shouting and amen it. Now, some of y'all won't come back and you're going to use that as an excuse. Let God judge you for that. My hands are clean. I didn't tell you couldn't celebrate. I'm just telling you what I do. Amen? I hope I was clear with that. I'm just telling you what I do. She says, he has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Remember when I told you that they came to get Jesus, Mary, and the brothers and sisters, and Jesus said, hey, these are my mother and brother. You remember when I told you guys that? Y'all were here for that, right? Amen. This is what we need to remember. We may not have come through the nation of Israel, but if we're born again, we're spiritual children, brothers and sisters with them. That means when you look over the history of the Bible, you're supposed to find your people. See, I know in this day and age, everybody wants to find their identity. But you listen to me. I actually don't care about my Italian heritage. I'm thankful for them. But you know why I don't care? Because no one cared enough to tell me about them. They're already forgotten. No lineage, nothing to hand down. I got a few recipes from my grandpa few little things this one polish but pierogies pierogies my polish grandma made other than that 
couldn't name you 10 things they handed me down. I don't care. A lot of y'all looking for your future in the past. Stop that. There's nothing there for you there. It may be fun. I get it. You want to look up, well, we came from this place and that place and this. Oh, wow. I'm the son of a prince or I'm a daughter of that. Okay, cool. What was that change for now? Nothing. But let me tell you what will change is if you go back through this Bible and look at Abraham and go, man, that's my people. And I can look at Abraham's life and go, that's for me. Or you go back at Moses' life and you go, that's for me. Or you go to Ruth and Naomi and these godly women or Mary and you go, that's for me. Like Melody, who doesn't have a godly mom to look to, she can be like, man, my example comes from Mary, the mother of Jesus. So when you look to it, it's a real simple history. I'm just going to give you the highlights. Adam and Eve sinned. God said he's going to send someone to crush the serpent. And as the serpent is crushed, he's going to get his heel struck. That was the first prophecy about God coming in the flesh in Genesis chapter 3. After Cain and Abel killed each other, the world began to spread out and get more wicked until God raised up Noah, his three sons and the three wives, six in total, Noah and his wife, were spared on the flood. They came off and repopulated the earth, one race, the human race. After that, God chose Abraham. Just an ordinary guy and said, I'm going to use you to start the nation of Israel, a special group of people. He was promised a nation larger than grains of sand on the beach and stars in the sky. They say at any time you can look at a hundred million stars or grains of sand at any given time. They can be out there in your gaze. Today there's over billions of Christians in the world. But he promised Abraham that. You know how many children Abraham died seeing? Two. Talk about a promise waiting to be fulfilled. See, she's remembering it while Jesus is being born. She's like, you've been faithful to Adam and Eve. You've been faithful to Noah. You've been faithful to Abraham. Then Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. They moved to Egypt for a little bit. Then they did them wrong. They were slaves for 400 years. Then Moses gets raised up. And when Moses is delivering the people, the whole entire purpose is what I'm doing now physically, giving you a temple, giving you a nation, is going to happen when the Messiah comes actually on the earth and everybody's going to worship me. And they had to wait another couple thousand years. And then after Moses and Joshua taking the land, the prophets are rising up, but they're not listening. They ask for a king. Saul becomes the first king of Israel. He's wicked. Then David comes. You all know David and Goliath. He becomes a great king. But then his son Solomon ruins it. And Solomon's kids split off the kingdom of Israel. Ten tribes from the 12 sons of, uh, of Jacob. 12, ten of the 12 go in one country. Two of the other go in another place. All these prophets are raised up to try to correct them. They don't listen. They're taken into captivity. First, the 10 tribes go to Assyria. Then later on, the two tribes go to Babylon. Then you hear about a mighty man named Daniel. He's getting thrown into a lion's den because they threaten him. If you pray here, we'll send you into a lion's den. He goes, is that how it's going to be? If I pray here, I, I go to a lion's den? Okay, watch me. Watch me. Watch me. Watch dear Jesus. <laughs> he prays and gets thrown into a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into a fiery furnace. Fourth man in the fire was Jesus. After the prophets, there's 400 years of silence. The next time you hear God speaking is the beginning of what we call our New Testament. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. Mary's pregnant with Jesus, the leaping in the womb. Now watch, Mary is sitting there before she's even birthed Jesus. And she's like, you have helped us. You have been with us. You have remembered us. You keep your promises to us. 
Could you imagine waiting 4,000 years to see what he promised in the Garden of Eden come? Mary was saying, after 4,000 years of human history, he's coming. Now let me ask you something. After 2,000 years of history, waiting for him to come back, do you think he's going to be faithful to us? As he was faithful to Noah, do you think he's going to be faithful to Jason? Do you think he's going to be faithful to Fred? Do you think he's going to be faithful to all of you here today? If he was good to them, he will be good to us. He is a good God. So this holiday season, as you celebrate in whatever way you celebrate, remember this, that Jesus came to fulfill promises to the people of the past. And now that he has come, he is going to fulfill the promises to you and I. So when I say I don't like Christmas. Don't think I don't like Jesus or I don't like his birth. I can get with you on that. We can celebrate on that. And guess what? Guess what? We can do that December 26th too and then December 27th and we'll celebrate him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords until he comes back. Maranatha, even come back now Jesus. Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on. Come on, let's clap it up for Jesus. The Son of God.